podcast is brought to you by New Hope Baptist Church. For more information, visit the website newhope.net.au or follow us on social media. Hello online, how are we doing guys? It is such an honour to be speaking with you this morning. I'm a little bit jealous of you. I wish I could be sitting at home in bed, maybe with my trackies on my Ugg boots. We were joking earlier today that maybe maybe we should have worn that instead. But here I am, jeaned up, ready to go. Now I've got a question for you guys. Have you ever tried to start a new habit. Maybe you've given a New Year's resolution a crack. Well, it's one of those things that I think can be really, really hard to start up. There's been lots of research done into the place and I've done a bit of digging online. I've looked around, read some articles and I'm going to be honest, I've spent a lot of time on Wikipedia trying to narrow this down and and my um, synopsis of what I've found out is that it takes roughly 21 days, so three weeks, in order to start a new habit. But then it takes an additional 90 days or three months of working at it and continually keeping at it in order to make it a permanent lifestyle change. Maybe that's why it was so hard to get out of the trackies and PJs after lockdowns last year. But you see, that's a really long time. See, my head straight away goes, three weeks, okay, cool, You know, maybe if I keep at it for most of the three weeks, I'll be okay. Maybe if I keep at it, you know, every second day in those three weeks, I'll still be able to make a habit. But sadly, no, research also suggests that skipping just three days is enough to send you back to square one. I don't know if anyone's ever tried to go to the gym in the first week of the year. The gym is a great spot to be in the first week of the year. People are motivated. People are excited. People are ready to be changed and ready to take on this new challenge. It's packed. Lots of people. You get there week two and there's, there's a few less people. The motivation's slowly dipping and come week three, memberships sit left unused. And, and believe me, I'm speaking as someone who has tried to start up this habit time and time again. I don't know what, habit, what habits you've tried to start up time and time again. Why don't you let us know in the online chats if you've been successful in starting any habits or doing any New Year's resolutions. You see, what frustrates me to no end is that I feel like you go round and round and round with some of these things. You know, maybe you've tried to do this, do this with some of your spiritual disciplines. Maybe you've set out to, to start on a new path to praying every single day at a certain time or worshipping at a certain time or reading your Bible and journaling in a certain way. And it can be really difficult sometimes. I reckon there's a few steps that are involved here. Firstly, you, you decide that you want to make the habit. Number two, you, you take the right steps to, to get things in place. If it's the gym, you go and get your membership. Three, you give it a crack. You've actually got to rock up. And four, you either succeed and great, you've done it, or you fail and the cycle starts again. Going through this cycle time and time again can be really quite disheartening. Sometimes it gets easier because every little time you get a little bit better at it and, and after three or four times, yes, you've got it. You've made that permanent lifestyle change. But sometimes 
it gets a little bit harder because you lose a little bit of confidence every time. We see a cycle like this happen time and time again in the Bible. Alan mentioned it a few weeks ago with Joseph. The people of Israel have been raised to power and you open the book of Exodus and a new Pharaoh has come in and they're back in slavery. I think the book of Judges though takes this to the absolute extreme. If you haven't read the book of Judges, can I encourage you to do so? It is an epic book. It is full of violence, tragedy, insanity at times. It's just plain weird. It's a really, really good read. The book of Judges follows this pattern, follows this cycle. And it's pretty easy to remember because it's as easy as your ABCs. So firstly, A, we see the Israelites abandon God. B, bondage, they're stuck in slavery. C, they cry out to God. D, deliverance comes in the form of a judge. And E, easy living, things are good, things are great. The problem is just like building a habit isn't easy, we don't spend most of the time in the book of Judges in that easy living zone. In fact, the cycle repeats itself time and time again and it gets worse and it starts to spiral. And each time Israel's relationship with God gets more and more distant. We pick up our reading today in the book of Judges, chapter 6, verse 1. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you read along with me? Um, All the words will be on the screen as well. Judges 6, verse 1. Chapter 6, verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because of the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkey. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord really quickly were made aware of A, them abandoning God. And then soon the cycle moves around to B, bondage. They're in slavery under the Midianites. Let's jump back into verse six. Midian was so impoverished by the Israelites, they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. We've hit C. The Israelites have cried out. They've cried out to God for help. And it's really interesting because right now they're living in a time, in a culture where they are worshipping other gods. I actually think we see this a little bit today as well. When people have yet to meet Jesus in our culture, they turn to God sometimes with a desperate prayer. When they feel lost, or hopeless, or like there's nothing else they can do, they shoot up this real desperate prayer. We see it in movies and TV shows when things just aren't going right for our main characters and it's a last resort, they pray. 
I actually think there's something like instinctual within us as spiritual beings living on this earth that when we are at our lowest, seeking the highest, always looking up to God. When the Israelites have hit their rock bottom, mind you, again, because this cycle has happened a few times in the book of Judges, they had nowhere to look but up. And good thing they did because next comes deliverance in the form of a judge. Picking up from verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abazrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, Why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in strength, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, if now I have found favour in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking. We've seen the Israelites, A, abandon God, B, be under bondage, C, cry out to God finally, and now D, deliverance comes in the form of a judge. God chooses Gideon to deliver them. And there's something really interesting about that. You see, God chooses to use Gideon where he's at. Not only is is Gideon fearful and unsure, not only does he have a lack of confidence, he, he doesn't think he's up for the job. He thinks of himself as the lowest of the low. We read in verse 15, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. He sees his clan as the least in the land and I am the least in my family. He sees himself as the lowest of the low, but that is not how God sees him. You see, God sees his potential. God sees what he has created him to be. God calls Gideon a mighty warrior. Now, in no stretch of the imagination at this particular time is Gideon a warrior, let alone a mighty warrior. But you see, sometimes I think that God believes in us more than we believe in ourselves. So God calls him. What does he call him to do? First, he calls him to purify the town. Before he could change the nation, he had to change his home. Is God calling you to purify your home? If you have the call to go out and and make disciples of nations and tell your co-workers about Jesus and tell your family about Jesus and tell your friends about Jesus, have you told yourself about him? Have you purified yourself? How does that sit with you? If God was to call you to purify your home, would you have done it already? Next, God calls him to battle. 
Gideon again is is nervous and is fearful. And so he tests God. And we read in chapter 6, verse 33, Now all the Midianites, Amicalites and other Eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon and he blew a trumpet, summoning summoning the Abizrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms and also into Asher, Zebulon and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet him. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And then that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece, wrung it out dry into a bowl full of water. But then then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with, with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and the ground was covered with dew. After testing God, I hope that Gideon was able to build up some level of initial confidence. And and we see this army begin to form around him. Roughly 30,000 men come. But then God says to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. I reckon that would have made Gideon a little bit confused because didn't just earlier God say, go in strength, go in the strength you have and save Israel. Shortly followed by, it will be you and you will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. If if Gideon had understood that in with a frame of mind of man, he would have understood that it's he who has to do it. And if he sees himself as the least of the least, of course he needs an army around him to make this happen. But God is very clear. God wants it to be known that it is because of Him that this battle is won. And so nervous and unsure, I'm sure, Gideon listens to God and he tells people that they basically have an easy out. If you are trembling with fear, if you are nervous at all, probably what Gideon himself was feeling, you can go. You don't have to be here at this battle. And, and 20,000 men leave, leaving roughly 10,000. I reckon Gideon would have been shaking in his boots a little bit. Suddenly two thirds of his army is gone, but at least he still has 10,000 men. He can do something with that. He's got God on his side. Yep, yep, I can do this. But then God again says that there are too many men. He says, take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. What a strange statement. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. When the men got down to the water, God basically had a look to see at how they drank the water. Everyone who laps with his tongue the way a dog laps sat on one side and everyone who kneels to drink, drinking with his face in the water sat to the other side. So basically those who, who take the water like a cup and drink from it like a bowl, like a dog would drink, put on one side and those who go straight to the source, face in the river, dunking in there, put on one side. And the interesting thing about this and is that there's, 
nothing really interesting about this. It's a way for God to make a divide and go, okay, cool. Those who drink from, who lap from their, um, from their hands, those 300 men, Gideon, that is your army. The others can go home. You see, it's meant to be strange because it's meant to show that it's through God that this is doing it. God was just doing this as a way to narrow down the army. There is no tactical advantage to drinking from your hands. There's no hidden truth behind not drinking from the source. It was simply a way for God to make a divide. What's significant about that is that there is nothing significant about that. It is a way for God to show that it is through Him that this battle will be won. I can imagine that Gideon at this time would be so, so nervous. Suddenly his army has dropped again. And this is a guy whose confidence levels are low at the best of times. And, but God still wants to work through him. And so God tells him, why don't you head down to the camp and, and, and have a listen? I think, I think you'll find peace there. And so Gideon and his servants sneak down to the camp of the enemy and they overhear a dream from one of the Midianites which is interpreted by one of the other guys as meaning that Gideon will have victory over Midian and all its allies. This gives Gideon the final confidence that he needs to head into battle. And now we read from chapter 7, verse 17, the battle story. And then he said to them, keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. As soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horn, blow your horns too, all around the entire camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly they blew the ram's horn, blew the ram's horn and blo- broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands. And they all shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their own swords. Those who were not killed fled to places as far as Bethshittah, near the Zenorah, on the border of the Abel Mole, near Tabith. These names, are, these names are incredible. The battle has been won. And the fact that there are so few people in this battle means that for the people who were there, for the people who will hear this story and probably for Gideon itself, I think there's a reason that God chose Gideon to lead this. It's so that it is clear to people that it was through God that this victory is won. For Gideon, God's favour meant victory. And so we see this cycle close off. We see them after having abandoned God, spending time in bondage, after them finally crying out to the one true God, deliverance coming via Gideon to now finally E, easy living. Israel is in God's favour and God's favour is victory. The victory to not give glory to Gideon 
but to give glory to God. It makes me wonder, you know, what am I trying to do in my own strength for my glory? Rather than letting God lead through me to do for His. Because He must become greater and I must become less. John 3.30. Or what am I not doing because I feel inadequate or weak or not capable, but God is calling me to do. God called Gideon up. Is he calling you up? God called Gideon to be a mighty warrior when Gideon himself didn't see himself that way. But as we look back over the story, we actually see moments where Gideon showed might, showing great power of character, or strength. Gideon had the might to be humble, happy to thresh wheat on the wine press floor, essentially a hole in the ground. He had the might to be caring, wanting to help his Israel out of the situation. He had the might of knowledge, remembering what God had done before for his people. He had the might of trust, listening to God, even when he may have been confused. He had the might of being spiritually hungry, keen to see God work again. Gideon had might even when he saw weakness in himself. God is willing to use you where you are. Where you see brokenness, God sees a hole. Where you see failure, God can see the roadmap to a victory. Where you feel inadequate, God can make you adequate. God is willing to use you right now. Will you let Him? You know, this season over the past year or so has been really interesting as we've been in and out of lockdown, in and out of being able to be in church. But I think that as we're, you know, slowly coming out of it, and I know we're, I know we've got a little circuit breaker pause for this week right now, but we're coming out of this. Where is God calling you to move? Can I encourage you to think about serving as a next step? Can I encourage you to think about where, um, where God wants you to lead and to serve Him in His kingdom? You know, for some of you, it might be as practical as, as heading to our Next Steps page on the website and, and saying that you want to join a team and, and take that next step. For others, it might be conversations with people in the community about where you can help out. Maybe it's volunteering at Winter Shelter. I don't know what it is, but I feel like God is calling us as the body of Christ to rise up and serve Him. The sad thing, the tragic thing about the book of Judges is that this cycle continues. Gideon's not perfect. He lets things get to his head. It actually blows my mind that that happens because God made it so clear that He was working through him. But instead, all it does is it boosts his ego and he cares more about his own strength and power and control than loving God. And so they abandon him and and the cycle begins again. The funny thing about Gideon is when he is weak, God works through him. And when he is strong, doing things in his own power, he leads people astray. I don't know about you, New Hope, but... I don't want to get caught in the cycle going round and round again. I don't want our world to get caught in this cycle. So to break the cycle, we need to add in an F. We need to focus 
on God. If we want to break the cycle, we need to focus on God. If we want to break the cycle, we need to focus on God. Spam it in the chat. If we want to break this cycle, we need to turn our eyes on God. You see, it's the times that Gideon focused on God that he was in his favour. It's the times that he listened to God that he went well. It is when God was a close friend that Gideon found strength in his weakness. Let's not let the world get caught in this this cycle. Let's not let our neighbours get caught in this cycle. Our family, our friends, our loved ones, those closest to us. I don't want to see anyone get caught in this cycle. So let's focus on God. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for your incredible love. God, I want to thank you for your, for your undying grace. That no matter what, we know that you are there for us. Lord, help us to be strong as we navigate through this cycle. and Lord, help us break it. Lord, give us the strength and the clarity to focus on You. Give us the habit-making skills we need to make spiritual disciplines a priority in our life. God, help us ready our own house before we go out into the battle for You. Lord, help us to focus on You so we can break this cycle. In Your heavenly Name, Amen.